Good morning. Welcome to church. What beautiful San Diego weather we got today. I got to tell you, I've been blown away. You know, when you're anticipating a weekend with rain, you're thinking, all right, it's going to be half full. You know, everyone's going to be, you know, but you're here. Come on. Yes. Love it. Love seeing your faces. You guys, we're in a series right now called Rhythms of Renewal, and we're talking about the spiritual practices uh, that have been handed down to us from God, through the scriptures, through the, from the church, uh, practices that help us leverage the grace of God for the transformational work that he wants to do in our life. Practices aren't what um, earn God's favor, but the spiritual practices are ways we dig down deep beneath the surface of our life so that our lives are built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And without even realizing it, we can find ourselves building our life on other things that are good, but cannot substitute for Jesus Christ as the rock of our life. We can sometimes find ourselves building the foundation of our life on our careers, on our good looks, on our important relationships, on our achievements, our hobbies, right? But nothing can substitute for Jesus. Spiritual practices help us dig down deep so that our life is built on the life and the wisdom of Jesus so that when the storms hit, we stand firm and our lives become more and more like him. Well, one of the ways we dig down deep into Jesus is by leveraging the grace of God at work in our life through one another. There is grace that God wants to pour into your life through the people that he's put in your life. We're going to be talking about fellowship today. I'm going to open up in Acts chapter 2 to dig into this. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this passage, this is a moment where Jesus has been crucified. He rose from the dead. He spent 40 days revealing himself as a resurrected Savior and Lord. He was resurrected, the, the piercing still in his body, having fish tacos, literally eating fish by the fire with his disciples. 40 days, revealing himself to over 500 people. But then there came the moment where he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we're going to read the moment where we see what the Christians did once he left. Here we are. Jesus is not physically there, but he's still with them. Now, I want you to pay attention to how we see Jesus in this moment. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by Jesus. Oh, wait, no. The apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, I love that one. I love that one. Come on, people getting saved. Maybe we'll see some of that today. This is a, an incredible moment where these believers were gathered to get together under incredible pressure, right? Jesus is crucified. This moment is in the very city with the very same people that killed Jesus, that dragged him out and brutally beat him and murdered him publicly. So the early church had pressure coming from um, the Jews who were pressuring them to get rid of this false belief in Jesus. And then they have the Roman government puts pressure on them for over 200 years persecuting them. But in the midst of all all that pressure, Christians had built 
their faith on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and this is what happened. Check this out. From this moment, the Christian community began to grow. Now get this, 40% growth per decade. It's radical growth when you consider the challenge that these early believers were experiencing. There's no Instagram, Snapchat, social media to boost you know, their message. There's no branding. There's no um, you know, uh, marketing experts helping them get the word out. You know, they're just like ordinary men and women, often in many cases, uneducated people holding to their faith in Jesus, and yet 40% growth every year. Look, it's an 80, 40. Let's say we have conservatively about 1,000 Christians, right? Now, percent of population is the percent population of the Roman Empire. Now, look at this. By 8350, just 310 years, 33,882,000 is the estimated number of people, 56% of the population. Isn't that amazing? Right? I mean, how do we explain this? So this is so remarkable. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I really get how crazy that is. Um, even secular historians have to scratch their head and go, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, but how do we explain this extraordinary social phenomena? Because it's amazing. People are just coming to faith. People are walking in Jesus when it could have been stuffed out. There was plenty of religions at the time that did not make it. You know, you've never heard of. Have you heard of Mithraism? Some of you have, maybe you haven't. Zoroastrianism? I don't know. How about Sybil worship? No, no, some of us, historians. But you know, there's a lot of religions, tons, tons, you've never heard of. Yet this thing grew, exploded, and has changed the face of the earth. Look at this. Today, we have 2.338 billion people who claim faith to Jesus. Globally, people who speak different languages, people who have different customs, people who are coming from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, all kinds of people, all kinds of personalities following Jesus all over the world. 253 million here in the United States. It's amazing. There's a great book called Dominion by an author historian, Tom Holland. Tom Holland is such a respected secular historian. My son, who's in Washington, D.C., political science, they use a lot of his material from his book, Dominion. It's not written from a Christian perspective. However, this writer, throughout his book, his historical account of how Christianity shaped Western culture talks about how many of the greatest things about Western culture were shaped by the Christian faith. And he, he's, having, he's trying to make the point that we take for granted how much Christianity has actually shaped us for good in ways that we don't even recognize. Um, in fact, he even makes a brilliant uh, account of the ways in which Christianity, far from being opposed to science, um, laid the foundation for the scientific, re- scientific revolution. So this whole, meta, this whole false narrative that it's religion against Christianity and it's real, Christianity is holding us back from progress is a myth. And that's coming from a secular historian. Check it out, Dominion, Tom Holland. But how did it grow? As Christians, we might go, oh, it's the grace of God, the power of the gospel, the outpouring of the spirit. Are you with me? Come on, yes, yes, and yes. But what I want to highlight from this Acts 2 passage, this little glimpse we get, is 
the spiritual practices that the early believers committed to that leveraged the grace of God for that kind of renewal, for that kind of transformation. Because there were things that they were doing that enabled them to dig down deep to build their faith, their community on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this word devotion that's in the right there in the beginning in verse uh, 42. Right there, it just has this great word. It says, they devoted themselves. The Greek word here is, we're gonna, I'm going to help us say this one. It's prokastereo. You ready? Prokastereo, yeah. There's a secret little R there right after the K-A, prokastereo. And this Greek word, well, look what it means. When it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, it wasn't like a hobby or a fad or, you know, like a little social club. Look at these associations or connotations. It means to stay close, to persist, to join together, to persevere, to remain faithful, to attend constantly. So what it means is when it says they devoted themselves, it it brings the, the connotation of proximity. They stayed close, of persistence. They didn't stop even when there was cost or it was difficult and there was passion in the way that they committed themselves to being together with one another. So I want to break this down, make it really simple, all right, Barney style, just like, what is fellowship? Here's our real simple definition. Let's read it out loud together, all right? So we really get it up here. Ready? It's the practice of intentionally gathering together with other believers around the person and purpose of Jesus. That's what we're going to dig into, how whether we're believers And maybe today God just wants to remind you, wants to re-energize your conviction that it's worth it to come together with believers, despite maybe some of the wounds of the past or some of the inconveniences. But it's also important for us who are here this morning, who are not believers. Maybe you're making 2024 a year of spiritual search to know who Jesus is in your life. I want you to understand the indispensable place that the people that God has put in your life have to help you on your spiritual journey. So here we go. Um, I want to talk about why fellowship is important, why it's so critical for us, and how we can practice the habits and the skills of this discipline. All right, let's start with why it is such a powerful practice. Look with me at verse 43. It says, everyone was filled with awe. Oh, man, they were just being blown away, right, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So I have two reasons why I want to highlight this practice is so important. Why do we need to value this? Well, number one, because fellowship stokes our wonder. Fellowship stokes our wonder. Being together stirs up our faith, strengthens our faith, and supports our faith. I want to talk about the wonder that is stoked in us when we come together as believers. What the disciples experienced with Jesus personally has now changed. Because see, these disciples, when we're reading this passage, these people walked with Jesus. As we're reading this, they had before been hearing his teaching, watching him do amazing things. They had experienced the goodness of sitting around a campfire and having a meal with Jesus, right? Having some tri-tip grilled, you know, in deep fellowship. They had experienced what it was to be with Jesus. But now that Jesus is not there physically, he continues to be with them, but in a new way. Everything that they experienced with Jesus, they're experiencing in a new way. Watch this. They're experiencing his presence, but yet now it's mediated through the people 
that they're connecting with in the community. They're experiencing his wisdom and his truth as they gather together to hear the teaching that's coming from other believers. They're experiencing his power through the gifts and the prayers of other believers. Now that's important. You guys listen. There are some of us that are praying for things in our life and God hears our prayers. God's with us. God is moving, but he's calling us to not just pray for ourselves, but to reach out to other believers to pray for us and with us. There are some things that God is going to move in our life when we link up with other believers to join us in prayer. It's not because you're not enough. It's because one, when we link up with other believers for prayer, it humbles us. Number two, when we pray with other believers, it builds up our faith. And in that way, God does things in our life that we think, why can't I just go by myself? If God's so real, can't I just go by myself, pray on my own? It's not about the bigness of God. It's about, is your faith big enough for what he wants to do in your life? And oftentimes, it's praying with others that helps take our faith to a new place. We're going we're gonna to look at what that looks like in just a few minutes. But as they gathered together, they were seeing God move miraculously in their life. And they experienced his love through the sharing and the hospitality of the other believers, right? They were coming together and experiencing the goodness of Jesus's generosity. Now, all of this is captured in one of Paul's key metaphors about what it means for us to gather together. There's many metaphors. This one verges, is both symbolic, it's spiritual, but it almost verges on being literal. And it's this one right here. In 1 Corinthians 12, look at this verse with me, and let's read it out loud because it's such a powerful, defining statement about what it means for us to be together. Let's read it out loud. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Each, let's, all, let's all get our fingers out. Let's get our fingers out. Come on, each one of you. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, you are a part of the body of Christ. Turn and say that to the person next to you. You are a part of it. Come on. Yes. If you're not a believer, then my friend, listen, then you right now are actually getting a little appetizer, a little taste of what it means to be a part of something that is bigger than just gathering for our favorite sports team or to watch a movie. When you think about why humans gather, right? We gather for our sports teams. I was just at Padre Stadium recently, right? God, the roar of the crowd, it's awesome. Rooting for our team, right? Or you know, you're, you're gathering around to watch a movie in a theater. But when we get together here, it is entirely different on a whole order of magnitude of difference. You are the body of Christ. Though Jesus is not physically here, he is manifesting himself wherever believers are gathering together. Where two or more gather, he said, in my name, I am there with them. And that is true on many levels, but it's true in that by being together, we amplify one another's awareness of the presence of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And that is more than a social Reality, it is a sacred and supernatural reality. Fellowship stokes our wonder. We get together and we experience Jesus in a way we can't experience alone. But fellowship amplifies our witness. The number two reason. Amplifies our witness. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those 
who were being saved. I remember when I had a friend witnessing to me in high school, he was sharing her faith with me. And I had another friend in, one of my, in, my, in my math class sharing her faith with me. And then I had a friend of mine on my soccer team. He was sharing his faith with me as well. They were all sharing their faith with me, but I remember the first time I went to a Christian event and experienced fellowship. You see, that's different. The first time I ever experienced it, maybe you've heard this story, was at the Pacific Amphitheater. That was my first dive into Christian fellowship. Greg Laurie was just starting his Harvest Crusades. I don't know if you know Greg Laurie. He's like an evangelist, leads a church up in Riverside. And uh, he was just tearing through the book of Revelation, you know, blowing my mind and uh, talking about the end of times and Jesus returning and freaking me out and watching people worship and people were worshiping. This is the part that really got me. You see, when I would hang out with my friends, I, didn't, I never saw this. But here I was, watching this woman, I'll never forget, she was just to my right, right here in the row in front of me. Hands lifted up, head back. I could just see tears coming down her face. And she was just worshiping. She looked so happy. I'm like, what is she on? I mean, I was not a Christian. I was like, what in the world? I cannot tell you I have ever experienced God like that. I mean, she's happy, she looks peaceful. I thought, am I at a cult, you know, and as I was a little nervous about it, but I could just experience something by being in that space. And this is what I mean. The witness of a friend is like listening to a beautiful violin. When we get around other believers, we're in fellowship, the church is a symphony. And we hear the music of God's presence in a really unique way that just touches the human heart, has the power to awaken faith. Now I want to show you guys an image. It's the difference between seeing a star in the sky and seeing the Milky Way. You ever see that first star that, you know, that first star that comes out at twilight? It's pretty. Yeah, I like to see you see those stars. They're, they twinkle, but there's something about seeing them all together. My son and I were up at Yosemite. We went up there for a father-son getaway for, you know, like four days just to bond. And we walked outside and there's San Diego has a lot of good things, right? We got waves, great weather, but one thing we don't have is we don't have the Milky Way. You know, and we walked outside and there it was, just in all its majesty. I mean, the sky was, was so densely, thickly covered in stars, it took my breath away. My son and I, standing together, heads cranked back, tears were just coming down my face and we didn't say a word, we just looked and were like, wow. When we get together, we amplify our witness because non-believers get to see the presence and experience the goodness of God in stereo, right? They see that it's more than just their quirky Christian little friend. They see that your faith is not just this idiosyncratic little thing you do, but whoa, there's other people like them. Maybe people more like they are than you are to your friend, right? They go, hey, you know, my friend's that artsy kind of, you know, touchy-feely person, but they show up and they see a friend who works for them at Viasat, and they're like, oh, another analytical person, all right, all right, so I don't have to commit intellectual suicide to be a Christian. <laughs> it's not just the sheer numbers, but we, fellowship amplifies witness by the diversity of us being together because you've got engineers and you've got artists. You know, you've got extroverts and you've got introverts. You've got, you've got Latinos, you've got white people, you've got black people, you have all kinds of people of different backgrounds coming together and that gives people a taste of heaven on earth. It shows people 
I don't have to become like my friend. I can still be myself because they see the diversity of the people that God's gathered. Now, diversity isn't, I'm not talking about the secular political agenda of that, for good or for bad. I'm talking about what it is to the kingdom of God before all of this stuff that we're dealing with today even showed up, right? Way back when God said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female, because being together in the diversity of this room, it communicates something about the grandeur and the bigness of God, that God's not the God of a tribe. He is the God of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in, believe in him shall not but should have eternal, come on now. That's what I'm talking about. When people get together and they see this, they see something bigger, something that transcends the things that normally would divide human beings into their little camps. You know, you got the surfer camp over here, you know what I mean? And then you got the, you got the soccer camp over here, and you got the, you got the, you know, you got the, the nerds over here, you know, they're just kind of geeking out on, you know, history books, you know, over there. You got the software engineers over here. You got the weightlifters over, you know, that's normal. But when they come here, they see us all being drawn together around something bigger than all of that, someone bigger than all that. Look at Revelation 7, 9. Um, a great multitude that no one could count. Let's read this part out loud. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Guys, that's what I'm talking about. And not only that, but there's unity in the diversity, something that brings us together, that transcends our differences, that's bigger. And that's why the enemy will attack our unity and try to make things that are good and important and elevate them above him so that we are divided. Do you know this next year, the enemy is gonna wanna divide you with other believers over things that matter but are not as great as he is. And that's where the Lord wants to anchor us back on the rock. Because sometimes other things become the rock to us, become the most important thing, right? And the Lord wants to keep us grounded. Okay, let's talk about, so that's um, the why. Okay, the wonder, stokes our wonder, amplifies our witness. I wanna talk a little bit about how we can put fellowship into practice in a way that um, helps us leverage the grace of God for our good. What are the skills and the habits? And to do that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. So open up your Bible to Hebrews 10. If you've got a Bible, open it up. I'm gonna give you a chance to find it. And uh, let's see, can I find it? I might just read it off my page. Look at your, your Bibles, Hebrews 10. Ah, here we go. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 uh, has this great verse. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Okay, now fascinating, right? Because even then, 2,000 years ago, when they didn't have you know, Xbox, and they didn't have great surf lineups just outside their front door, you know, right? Before, you know, they had, you know, the Pilates class available, they still had barriers to them getting together, right? They, there were challenges that made it hard for them to say, you know what? I'm going to stay devoted to fellowship. He goes, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So I wanna talk a little bit about um, a habit and a skill, okay, that this brings up. So that fellowship becomes something that opens up the grace of God to our life. 
So the habit of gathering, the most simple, easy, low-hanging fruit, I'm gonna hit that one, because it's the easiest to understand, it's the, it's for, if you're a Christian, you know it, but right now, in our culture, it's one of the hardest to continue practicing. I wanna break down the habit of gathering, because even back then, for believers for thousands of years, the enemy has come at believers to break down their commitment, their conviction, that just the act of being together is crucial to our faith. Well, let's look at the word habit first. It's the Greek word, ethos. It means custom or a pattern of behavior, right? So that's a habit. It's a custom, a pattern. Now look at this. Jesus himself was committed to fellowship. He was committed to the habit of gathering. Look at Luke 4, 6. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his. Yeah, so Jesus, right? I mean, if anybody could be self-contained and not need anybody, it would, be, it would be Jesus, right? And you would think, well, of course, Jesus was in ministry. He was doing his thing. He went to the synagogues. But for 30 years before he was in his ministry, he was committed to the practice of regularly gathering with other believers every week. Is it good enough for Jesus? It might, be, it might be good enough for you. It might be. I don't know. Think about it. But Jesus had a regular practice, the way in which he opened himself to God. And I want to talk about this idea of habit and the power of habit in shaping you beneath the surface of your life. Habits are powerful and small patterns in our life that shape us. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, has a really cool quote. I want you to just sit on this idea for a minute. All right, think about this. Your identity emerges out of your habits. Do you think that's true? Do you think to some degree that, the, that your habits have the power to shape your perceived identity? Do you think that's true? So now, I'm not talking about your actual true identity as made in God's image. I'm talking about your perceived identity, who you see yourself as. Right here, he's saying that your identity actually is being shaped, that we are all being spiritually formed either towards Christ or towards something else. But we're always being formed, and our habits have the power to shape that identity. He puts it in another way in a different quote here, and I like this one. Each habit is like a suggestion. Hey, maybe this is who I am. Like, think about that for a minute. When you get around other believers, it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe this is who I am. Maybe I am a follower of Jesus. Because, you know, out there in the world, there are a lot of other habits that are suggesting that your identity is fundamentally something else. And they're not bad things. It could just be the routine and the habits of our home life that want you to build the foundation of your identity on being a mother. Because you have so much to do as a mom. Come on, let's give it up for moms in the house. Moms! We love you, but you're having to spend a huge amount of energy loving other people, taking care of them. The locus of your concern is out beyond yourself on those that you're caring for, and very easily, those habits can just begin to form your sense of identity. I am a mother, and that can easily become the foundation, the rock of your identity, but you are more than that. More than just a mother, you are a child of God. You are a daughter of a father who loves you. And sometimes, as mothers, your own needs, 
your own joys, your own, the things that you need to be tending to in your own life can get lost because of the habits of your life just choke it out. And that's why the idea of gathering in fellowship with other believers reminds us and reestablishes us. Yes, I'm a mother, and that's an important, wonderful part of who I am. But I'm more than a mother. You're more than an engineer. You're more than a surfer. You know, you're more than a pastor, more than a father. Those are good things. You're more than a weightlifter. You're more than all those things. Whatever our careers and our hobbies want to define us as, we're more than an athlete. Our habits shape us and remind us of who we're at, who we are. So I want to ask you this. What is the ethos of fellowship practice in your life, in your family? I want to get personal and get in your business a little bit, all right? I want to just creep into, you know, and take a seat in your living room, and I want to just talk to you about what is the practice of fellowship in your life, and I want to help you do that, and I want to help you to explore what it might look like in your life for you to leverage fellowship for God's grace in you. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, there's two key elements about the way they fellowship that I want to highlight. The frequency with which they met and the space in which they met. These two elements of their fellowship, the frequency and space. Frequency, verse 46, they met every day, right? In other words, it was often, regular. And I'm not saying if you're not meeting with believers every day, you have a problem. But it does speak to the regularity of it. The more you're meeting with other believers, it allows your identity to come back to that sense of true self. I am a follower of Jesus, right? That's how those believers during those hundreds of years where there was so much cultural pressure to conform, and they didn't. They were able to stand their ground under persecution because with the influx of all these competing secular ideas, it was a commitment to gather with other believers that reminded them, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe in the word of God over against all other truth. It was reinforced. It was strengthened, and they were anchored on that firm foundation. So, frequency and space. I want to drill into space for a minute. Let's go to the next one. It says in in Acts that they met in temple courts, and they met in homes. And we know also from reading the Gospels that Jesus had these one-on-one times. They would meet sometimes like Jesus with the woman by the well. There were different modes or modalities of fellowship. I want you to reflect on your frequency, how often are you meeting with believers in corporate spaces? But I also want you to think the different modes of meeting with believers. So here, public. Public is like when they were meeting in the temple. It's these large public spaces like right here, right? Where you get a sense of the Milky Way. You get a sense of the momentum and you're, you're reminded I'm a part of something bigger than myself. At work, maybe you don't have any Christian witness there. No friends that are encouraging that faith. But here, you're like, oh yeah, I'm a part of something bigger. That might be coming here on church on Sundays. That's like going to encounter night. My son went to encounter this year and was telling me how encouraging it was to see all these believers his age in the front, you know, right there at the amphitheater by the Oceanside Pier, just worshiping God in public, not afraid to be open about their faith. Encounter nights, uh, Movement San Diego, you know, these public things. And then you got this, 
social space. That's like morning date. That's like where you're in a group of like 10 to 100 people and you start to link up with people that are at similar stage of life as you. It's like going to the women's ministry or coming to the men's barbecue coming up in a couple of weeks. Come on, men. Gonna barbecue it up. You get to a space with people in a similar stage or of life or where you have something in common so that there's a stronger bond being made. And then right here, personal. That's the one I want you to really think about. Do you have personal space of fellowship? That's where you can really let people know what's going on in your life. That's like in a group of one to one or one to three or one to five. I have a group of guys I meet with um, on a regular basis. I got a guy here, a guy there. I got groups of friends where I can be absolutely honest about everything in my life. And I want to tell you something that I'm committed to as a pastor of this church. There is nothing in my life that is hidden, that isn't known by at least someone in my life who walks with Jesus. There's no area of struggle, there's no area of sin or weakness or frailty in my life that is not openly discussed and known by the people in my life who walk with Jesus, who are holding me accountable, who pray for me. I share vulnerably on a weekly basis with friends about what's happening in my life. So there's nothing hidden behind the curtains of Ryan's life that is, you know, unexamined by the presence of God in the form of a believer. But do you have that? Do you have people in your life who walk with Jesus, who know you, who know you at the level where you could say, there's nothing hidden in my life. There's no hidden sin, no hidden struggle. Struggles with emotional depression or anxiety or even suicide. Patterns of behavior that are destructive or toxic in your life where you can't stop spending money or you can't stop eating or you, other compulsive behaviors that you feel like are kind of eating away at you. Is there someone in your life who walks with Jesus who knows those things, who's praying for you, holding you accountable, who is fighting for God's best in your life? That's what I'm talking about here. So this is like the all essential, and in the Bible you see the role of all of them. You see Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, right? But you see Jesus gathering in the upper room. You see the disciples gathering in ones or threes where everything is known, confessing sin to each other, um, and it's moving into the deep end as you go further and further and you get more personal. Where do you need to lean into fellowship in this church? What's your growth edge? Maybe for you, it's consistency of being here on Sundays. The average church attendance in our country is one and a half times a month. It's deteriorated over decades. It's not any one denomination. It's not just mega churches or even small churches. It's across the board in our country. One and a half times a month is the average attendance of church. So I want you to think for a minute for yourself. Maybe for you, you're like, gosh, I'm actually right around there. What if your encouragement today is, what if this year you decided to up your attendance, gathering with the believers in this public space, just one more Sunday a month? Just up it just a little bit. So you know what, hon? What if we just made a commitment to, to double from one to two times a month? If we're at two, let's, go, let's get crazy and go to three and see what happens. And if you're really radical and you're at three, what if you went four? We got services in the morning. 
We got services at night. I love seeing our families who have young kids who miss the morning service because of sport. How many people have kids' sports on Sundays, sometimes during, on a regular basis? Come on, raise your hands. Come on, only a few of you guys. Man, that's why, oh, they're not here. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Soccer now, it's like every weekend's a full tournament, Saturday, Sunday. It's not rare for me to see families say, like, we couldn't make it in the morning because we had a softball game or lacrosse, but they're bringing their kids on Sunday night. But what if you were just teaching your kid, yeah, you might get a little bored, but you know what? As a family, we're committed. We go to church together. We're committed. We show up. You need it. So that when they leave your home, it's embedded and anchored in their heart. We go to church. as a fundamental rhythm of their spiritual life. Okay, maybe for others of us, it's like you got that part, but you need to get to the personal space. And I want to encourage you. One way you can do that if you're one of the guys in the house here, show up to the men's barbecue. My passion for the men's gathering is to help men get out of the crowd and start to move into places of fellowship where you can be known. We have a vibrant women's ministry that does that really well. We have mentoring opportunities and we have home groups. I wanna talk about the home groups for just a minute here. We got home groups blowing up. In fact, we've got more home groups than we've got people to lead them but I want to just whet your appetite for how good home groups can be. I asked someone to share a testimony, and they just sent this to me this morning. I'm going to just read it to you. Because home groups is kind of getting personal, right? Like, what if you end up in a group of people you don't like, you know what I mean? What if it's awkward, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like no hiding. See, here, you can hide. But you know, you're in a home group, it's like they're all just looking at you. Hey, welcome. And if it's awkward, you're kind of having to endure the hour and a half. And then are they calling you, and do you feel bad because you didn't go back? Are you rejecting them? I know, I get it. Trust me, I know. But it's worth facing the awkwardness. It's worth it. Listen to this testimony. I want to read to you. Uh, Jess Rice was sharing with me about a small group they're leading with a bunch of young families. She writes this. We have families who have been at North Coast Calvary for over a decade and families who had only been here for two weeks when they joined our group. Across the board, everyone in our group has said that joining a small group is the number one thing that has made this church feel like their home. Listen, If you're here and you're like, gosh, how do I get connected? Why do I feel like nobody knows me and no one cares? I want to encourage you. If you just show up on Sunday morning, you're always going to feel like that. But if you let yourself take a step further into the pool, get a little deeper, join a home group. Maybe this year that's your goal. Join our home group or get this, lead one. She writes on, she goes on, she says this. We've seen people step into leadership roles at church from our home group, show up for outreach, join ministries they wouldn't have even thought about and even taken on international mission trips to serve together. So I'm just wondering if there's an activation of your faith that hasn't gone to that next level because God is waiting for you to leverage his grace available to you through the believers around you. And when you take steps out of this big space, and start to get more known and let yourself be known, you've got gifts. You have things to bring to this community that we need. But if you just sit here in the comfort zone of the big crowd, then you are robbing us of your amazing good looks, your winsome personality, your, your stunning, piercing intelligence, and just whatever gift that God's put in you that maybe you don't even realize you have. But as you step into closer community, it's gonna come out and shine. All right. 
I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to stop, hard stop, and uh, get the band. Worship team, get out here. As the worship team comes out, where's your, where can you lean into fellowship? As we go into the song Reflect, is it the frequency? Is it the space? Is God calling you out to deeper waters with him? So at his grace, the grace that he's put in the person to your right, to your left, who you don't know yet, but is somebody that God's going to use to take you to a new depth of closeness to Jesus. There is something social, relational, but something spiritual, something, listen, here, here's the word, sacred, when we gather together. It's a very simple idea to show up. But in practice, it's getting harder and harder. Against the backdrop of a cultural trend in our country, people are gathering less and less with other people. One of the biggest hit dem- uh, demographics in our country are the Gen Zers who are gathering 20 hours a month less with their friends in person. What a gift we as a church have to offer. A physical place where people can be known and be known. Just this morning I walked out and I caught a guy by accident walking into the to his car and I grabbed him. It was his second time at church and we just start, I just started praying for him and man, the guy just started weeping. He's sharing, he's going through the hardest thing in his life. And he was experiencing the touch of God by choosing to be here on this campus. There are people in this room who have encouraged me through some of the lowest moments of my life. I remember one time when I was raising funds for my previous line of work, I was super discouraged. And my friend said to me, Brian, I've seen you at this moment plenty of times and God has come through every time. Has God ever failed you in giving you what you needed? And he just called me out and strengthened my faith in a moment where my faith was wavering. I got friends in this room who just the other day I was having shrimp tacos with, you know, where we're just bearing our soul to each other. I am who I am in Christ because of the men and women that God has put around me. But I have to leverage that grace by reaching out to them by persevering in being with them, in fighting through the schedule barriers, in fighting through the busyness of life to be together to say, you know what, it's worth it. Let's, st- let's get together, let's hang out. And I wanna encourage you, I hope you walk away today freshly encouraged that just by being here, you've done a sacred thing. And open up your heart to the Spirit, where the Spirit is leading you into deeper waters. If you'd like to come up and get prayer, if you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer team right now ready to pray for you. Come on up, prayer team. Other than that, I'm going to send you with a blessing, even a minute early. Jesus, thank you for getting out early, and thank you for fellowship. We just thank you, God, for your presence that is with us through one another. I pray for those who are not yet believers, that, God, they would lean into their friendships and open up their friendships, their marriages, their relationships to spiritual conversation so that, God, you can move in their life. I pray for experienced believers to lean deeper into fellowship and to rise up as leaders, creating space for others to be known. I pray, God, for a harvest of new home group leaders coming out of this service, new groups where people are getting into fellowship carrying one another's burdens. I pray for that, Lord. And I just pray the blessing of God on you. May the peace and the grace of Jesus be with you today and go before you. In Jesus' name.
Amen, my friends. Yeah, God's good. I'll see you outside with the lollipops. Have a great week. <laughs>